Hello and welcome to the podcast of the Jean Monnet Centres on Citizens' Rights. I'm Romain Dieber and this is a series of conversations with guest speakers or project team members. Today, we are going to talk about the European Citizen Initiative and in particular, the initiative of the Universal Basic Income. That was the subject of an academic seminar which took place last June at UCC. The event explores the European Citizen Initiative, or ECI, and its practical operation with a view to investigating the ECI as a mechanism of participatory democracy that can foster a genuine transnational European political participation. In particular, the seminar aimed at exploring the success or even suitability of ECI to enable citizens to create rights, particularly social rights. The ECI hold a lot of promises and was introduced as a mechanism of direct democracy within the EU. Indeed, under Article 11 TEU, the citizen initiative allowed no less than one million citizens of a significant number of member states to invite the European Commission within the framework of its powers to submit an appropriate proposal for a legal act of the Union. So to discuss about this, we have here today two of the guest speakers of the event, Dr. Ulrich Schatzschneider and Dr. Anastasia Karatia. Dr. Ulrich Schatzschneider is an energy consultant, lecturer at University of Magdeburg and freelance social scientist is a member of the Universal Basic Income Europe Board. Dr. Anastasia Karatia is a senior lecturer at Essex School of Law. Her research relates to citizen participation in European law and decision-making, with a focus on the European Citizen Initiative. We have here today a very interesting set of guests, so thank you both for coming here today. Um, so, Ulrich, Universal Basic Income Europe has taken political action for a European unconditional basic income in a number of ways, including two attempts to launch an ECI. So can you tell us a little bit about the different steps you went through to register your initiative? Yeah, um, to get the whole picture, I, I think uh, we have to start with um, our internal um, discussion in our organization, UBIE, Unconditional Basic Income Europe. And um, that our idea was uh, that um, we want to make visible the big support uh, we can see in Paul's, um, the big support um, on um, unconditional basic income euro up to 50%. And we thought, okay, that uh, should be possible to transform this support into um, 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 a successful ECI. And uh, yes, we discussed uh, first um, on the text, you can imagine that uh, whether we wanted uh, to um, claim for a full um, unconditional basic income or a partial one, uh, whether it should be EU funded directly or it should uh, only be a guideline uh, uh, for the member states and um, similar questions. And yes, uh, then we agreed um, after a complicated um, dis uh, discussion process, we agreed on um, a certain text um, and uh, this uh, was a text which um, uh, referred to EU social policy and uh, the uh, reg registration uh, from the Commission uh, was not given uh, because they said uh, okay it was um, not um, within the EU treaty um, and um, um, yes then we changed the text um, more to um, economic policy and that was successful okay uh, after that we 
campaigned and uh, yes um, that was um, at the one hand um, uh, an EU level uh, web-based campaign and at the other hand um, um, campaigns from our national members so and we had uh, difficulties um, uh, with campaigning um, but I think I don't want to say too much at, at, at this point so uh, overall the result was that we don't reach the 1 million signatures only uh, round about 300,000. Okay, and I, I think you had a lot of difficulties in a, in a registration process, it seems. And that, that's why I wanted to ask Anastasia, because uh, the framework of the ECI has been changed quite recently. And the new regulation has been adopted in 2019 and uh, came into force in 2020 and was aiming at bringing some flexibility or easing of the process because very few initiatives were successful. So can you maybe tell us a little bit about what uh, the new uh, regulation brought uh, on the procedural point of view? Uh, sure. Um, well, first of all, let's start with the reasons why um, the regulation was was reviewed in the first place. Uh, we, under the previous regulation, there was a, a test with several uh, details criteria. Um, the organizers, the potential organizers, were required to provide some information about their proposed CIs. They should stipulate the treaty provisions that they consider relevant for their proposals um, and provide also some personal details of themselves and of the sources of funding for their proposal at the time of registration. If they wanted to, they could provide an annex to their registration form with some additional information uh, on their initiative. Uh, the Commission was then obliged to check whether the initiative complied with what we call the legal admissibility test, which consisted of three key criteria uh, and basically said that uh, the Commission would not register an initiative if it manifestly fell outside the framework of the Commission's powers to submit a proposal for a legal act of the Union for the purpose of implementing the treaties, if it was manifestly abusive, frivolous or vexatious, or if it was manifestly contrary to the values of the Union as set out in Article 2. There was an obligation on the Commission, if it refused to register an ECI, to inform the organisers of why uh, the refusal and to inform them of the channels that they could use to challenge the Commission's decision. One of the key reasons behind the, the change in the entire uh, of the entire regulation was that the ECI faced a number of criticisms since the very early days of its existence. Uh, stakeholders, academics, people who tried to bring an ECI and did not manage to get it registered, they often argued that uh, the test was an impediment to the effectiveness of the initiative as an instrument for participation. One of the key arguments to this debate was that the Commission was applying the test in a very strict manner, in a very legalistic way, which limited the ability of citizens to influence the, the agenda through an ECI. This takes us to a, this took us to a process of gradual evolution, let's say, to the test, both an evolution that came both from the difference in the approach of the Commission as time passed, but also uh, based on the judgments of the Court of Justice of the European Union, which clarified a few aspects of the test and also motivated some of the changes to the Commission's approach. Nowadays, with the new regulation, we see that 
one of the, for instance, one of the key changes is that nowadays the uh, commission accepts to register a proposal partially. This means that even if uh, not all of the goals of uh, the initiative is fall within the framework uh, under which the Commission can propose legislation, the Commission can get back to the organizers and it can say that, uh, you know, we're registering your initiative um, only insofar as it pursues this and that uh, objective uh, with the obligation that you will then inform your supporters uh, about the fact that you are only collecting signatures to support the accepted uh, objective. And I think this has made a, a difference. We have already seen some examples of partial registration of uh, an ECI, where the Commission only registered parts of a proposal that could be addressed with measures, for example, that did not need a, a treaty amendment. So I think in terms of the legislative changes to the registration stage, for me that I think would be the main um, um, change uh, to, to be noted. Yes, and you also mentioned that uh, in the new regulation, there is a codification of the Court of Justice case law relating to the nature of the ECI as a right. Do you think that has any added value? And 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 you also mentioned uh, something related to a dual nature of the ECI. It, it is not only a way of participatory democracy, but it's also a way to foster debate. Do you think that has any way with its functioning, it, it impact in any way the ECI functioning? Yes, so... Um... I think the addition of the debate as an objective of the ACI is an interesting one. Uh, it, to an extent, there has been a bit of a lack of clarity as to what the ACI is for exactly. Um, so is this a way to uh, propose legislation and get it uh, acted upon? Uh, if so, does that mean that if your proposal is not successful, then, you know, it was not worth your time or your effort? Or are there other positives coming out of this? And uh, I speak here as an academic, so I'm, cer I'm certain that people who have organized an initiative and have been involved in campaigns are in a better position to judge this uh, than, than myself. But I, I, I consider it a welcome clarification, at least, that uh, the European Union institutions consider this instrument to be both an instrument of proposing legislation and an instrument of fostering debate, because at least it allows us to judge the ECI on the basis of that criterion. If we know what it is for and what it was designed to do, then it, it also becomes easier to um, assess how it functions in practice. And it also becomes easier to hold the European Union institutions accountable for uh, their, their role in the success of uh, this instrument. And, uh, and this is also... Sorry, this is also involved, the, the, the debate aspect is also involved with the follow-up stage, um, which uh, now includes also an increased role for the European Parliament. Yes, that's what I wanted to ask you exactly. This is this new uh, institutional change where the European Parliament has much more uh, importance, it has much more uh, place in the process. So can you tell us a little bit, ben, but why do you think they brought that on? Yes, so um, under the previous ECI regulation, what happened when an initiative was successful, meaning 
it successfully collected the 1 million signatures was that uh, it was submitted to the commission which was obliged to examine it and to set out its legal and political conclusions as to what would be the next actions and the next steps that the Commission would take. It had three months to set out the action that it intended to, um, to take and also to explain to the organisers why that was the chosen path uh, for the next steps. In the meantime, the organizers uh, were entitled to present their initiative at a public hearing in the European Parliament with the participation of the Commission and other EU institutions and anyone else who wished to participate. And we saw a number of initiatives going through this process, with the first one being um, the, the right to water, and the most recent one being the end the cage age uh, ACI. Now, the new regulation, it, it maintains this public hearing but it now places the responsibility for organizing this public hearing on the European Parliament itself, which is uh, responsible to ensure that there is a balance in the interests uh, that are heard throughout that public um, hearing. The European Parliament therefore has this increased role in the organization of the public hearing, but also it is formally given an oversight role by the new regulation. It is now responsible for assessing whether there is political support for a successfully submitted initiative after the public hearing, but also for assessing the Commission's response to the initiative and therefore sort of interfering, let's say, uh, in cases it believes that the Commission could have done more or could have done something differently. Um, this is, is a recognition of the European Parliament's role and it is a codification of its, its interest throughout the uh, life of the ACI so far because we have seen the European Parliament being involved with the ACI from the very early stages of its life. It formally supported one of the first successfully submitted ACIs, for example, by adopting regulations calling on the Commission to take further actions than what it had promised. So in this way, it's th this new ECI regulation, it, it, it solidifies the involvement of the European Parliament by uh, giving it the roles that, it, that I have um, explained. So it, in a way, it recognizes that there is a link between citizens' participation through an ECI and citizens' representation by the members of the European Parliament um, which are obviously directly elected by citizens, citizens themselves. Well, thank you, Anastasia. Thank you for clarifying uh, all of that point on, on, on the new framework of the ECI. Um, Ulrich, I wanted to come back a little bit uh, to, uh, to, the, to the Universal Basic Income Initiative because you mentioned that uh, earlier on um, that in the poll numbers you had a lot of supporters, but one of the main difficulties is, is to transform those poll numbers into signatures. Um, uh, so do you think that um, the EU has, has a role to play, I will say, because that's, that's a point you mentioned in your contribution that 
as a German-based organization, you had difficulties to uh, co cooperate with other NGOs uh, throughout Europe, uh, which had also a, a social goal. So do you think that would be one of uh, the role of the EU to foster collaboration between NGOs, a transnational collaboration between NGOs to to make sure that the ECI could, could work, I would say? Yeah, the, the role of the EU, um, what, what could the role of the EU be? Uh, first, um, um, a fine um, collection tool. Um, so the EU is um, supporting the initiatives with a, um, a, with a central collection tool. Um, but um, yes, we, we, um, this collection tool is um, not so practical, but that was our experience. Um, because it was not very interactive. Uh, you can imagine that uh, when you run uh, a web-based campaign, it's uh, um, most important that um, there are not too many clicks, and but there's a, um, there is, uh, the whole thing is um, highly interactive uh, to um, generate further support. So every additional, um, um, click uh, uh, will um, uh, lead to um, will um, have a consequence. Uh, every unnecessary, so to say, uh, um, a click will uh, have the consequence that you uh, lose supporters because you need supporters for the snowball system for further um, uh, spreading the initiative and so on. And um, this central collection tool from the EU has some um, options uh, for um, 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 yeah, staying in contact with the supporters. You can have their emails. Uh, there are some options uh, for them to click that they want to spread the initiative um, uh, on, on uh, social media platforms, um, some links and so on, but it's not uh, uh, interactive enough for generating these um, uh, snowball system to have uh, much support. And that's uh, the most important thing in uh, modern uh, campaigns. Uh, it's not, uh, we cannot sample all the signatures on the street uh, as maybe some old uh, political activist uh, uh, thinking. That was the, uh, that's the first um, point um, which, is, uh, which can be uh, bettered from the European Union to better this central collection tool or to allow a second option to use an own collection tool. That was um, possible in the past, but with the new regulation, it is not possible. Um, and second uh, is, yes, for a small organization as we are, um, one, um, it's important to have some um, professionals we could could employ and uh, we had uh, big difficulties in um, coordinating the campaign it was more um, uh, a set of uh, uh, national uh, activists who made national campaigns um, in, in their own countries um, but there was a lack of um, a common coordination uh, on the eu level and for this, you need um, professionals. So it's um, it's uh, difficult enough to work together. <laughs> um, also, language problems there are, but also political problems, different experiences in political culture, 
and different uh, different attempts. So uh, it's not so easy for a small organization with only volunteers to organize such an ECI. And one proposal is uh, yes, if an ECI uh, is registered, the European Union could support this registered uh, ECIs with some money for employing uh, during campaign time for one year, for instance, um, one or two professionals. Yes, I understand. And I also was uh, wondering about um, the, the difference between the two attempts um, that you did. The first one was rejected and you could not register it and was on the ground of social policy, while the second one, which was accepted and you could register the signatures, was on the ground of economic policy. And I thought that was interesting. So do, do, do you think that has anything to do with the lack of social competencies of the European Commission? Or why did you make that choice? Uh, was it strategic? I, I guess it is. <laughs> Yeah, I think the Commission has to prove whether this um, ECI uh, claim is in line with the EU regulations, with, with um, treaties. And um, so, um, yes, after our uh, first um, attempt, uh, um, yeah, that uh, referred to uh, social policy, um, we got the answer from the Commission, um, yeah, some social policy is um, not worthy, but uh, that was the, 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 the content. Some social policy is possible, um, but it has to be uh, related only to workers' rights. So, and um, with our claim, unconditional basic income is for everybody, no matter whether somebody is working or not. Um, so that, that um, was not in, in, in the scope of, 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 of this um, um, constraint. Um, but um, yeah, uh, we um, got uh, from the Commission some hints. Uh, there was also a letter exchange uh, in, in between that was helpful. There, we had not the feeling that the Commission was against us. So the, the, there was a. Yeah, they, they said why this was not possible with this text, and um, yeah, so we um, um, were able to um, create a new text. And in the new text, um, and, uh, we um, refer to uh, explicitly to um, uh, economic policy. And um, a second thing um, was that we. Um, said that um, yeah, we want to establish unconditional basic incomes throughout the EU, not directly by the EU. Maybe that, that was also um, important to, to get registered. So, and yeah, um, this second attempt was successful. And um, yeah, I had the feeling that the commission, as I said, was not against us, but they, Searched for a for a way um, to registrate it. Um, uh, yes, and um, yeah, that that was my my, my feeling. Yeah, thank you, Elric. So now I want to come back to the uh, research focus of the Germany Center. Um, so the research focus of the Germany Center is to investigate how EU-derived rights can actually contribute to the EU legitimacy in the EU, its neighborhood, and globally, while adopting a citizen perspective and considering how citizens perceive rights, how citizens use rights. 
So in light of the discussion that we had about the ECI, do you think that EU-derived rights are usable for citizens? And do you think that the use can contribute to the e-legitimacy? Maybe you can give uh, your view, Ulrich, first, and then Anastasia? Yes. Um, yeah, what, what could EU-derived rights um, 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 support? Um, uh, race uh, support um, for the EU. Yeah, I think in principle, yes. Uh, when we look into the past, um, for instance, um, the citizens um, um, has um, um, uh, have um, consumer rights, for instance, the right to choose the electricity supply or something like that, and. Um, uh, these non-discrimination rules and 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 so on. These are EU-derived rights, which um, they they like, but uh, often they don't know that that these rights come from the EU. Um, and yeah, from my point of view, in in, in future, um, um, yeah, this should be enhanced um, uh, into the field of social rights. Um, that uh, they would help in daily life and especially help in the um, upcoming big uh, social ecological transformation. We all know the, the big uh, goals of the EU and um, the risks for the for everybody's life uh, with, um, uh, in, in this uh, ecological transformation. It's very important that they have um, social rights. Um, that they can, um, that, that they have not to be in fear of, of this um, transformation. And yes, one idea is the unconditional basic income or steps to it. Um, so yeah, um, I, I think uh, such uh, social rights uh, derived from the European Union would be very useful uh, to uh, generate um, support from the citizens. Thank you, Elik. And you, Anastasia, what do you think? Um, yeah, so if, if I may just offer a few reflections on, on the citizen, on the participatory rights um, that, that derive from, from EU law, I think looking at the ECI um, throughout the years, we see that it is part of a bigger, if we may say so, a revolution that took place after the Treaty of Lisbon, where we now have mm, the treaty recognizing uh, rights of citizens to participate in the in the life in the public life of the of the European Union and of the in the decision making process of the European Union. Obviously, the practicalities are a, a, a joint but separate manner. But on principle, I think it's important to recognize that this is. Uh, it's a bit like a wave now of uh, uh, an, an attention to citizens' participation. And we have even seen more recently examples of this, not only with the ACI. We have seen the Conference for the Future of Europe, uh, where citizens have, had, citizens have had a say. We are seeing now the citizens' panels that are being organized by the Commission. So we see actions that uh, have to do with the right of citizens to participate, uh, and that bring uh, the uh, grassroots organizations and, for example, in the instance of the citizens' panels, just 
EU citizens with an interest in what is happening at the EU level, um, having the opportunity to take part in a dialogue and in an exchange of view with regard to uh, where Europe is going. One of the main things perhaps to note as a, as a concluding remark is that the, the the ECI, the citizens panels, the all these actions that have to do with the rights of citizens to participate in the European European Union, they have to be seen in the context of the EU's institutional balance. So we have to remember that um, they are one aspect of how decisions are made in the European Union. They sit uh, in, in, they exist, they coexist, let's say, with citizens' representation. They coexist with the right of legislative initiative uh, of the European Commission, in which it has the exclusivity. They coexist with the way in which the European Parliament and the Council have um, been collaborating to uh, decide and to take action and to um, enact legislation at the European Union level. So, in, in, in my view, you know, there is this revolution, there is this movement towards the rights of EU citizens. We're still at the stage where um, we are figuring out what this means in practice for the day-to-day -day citizens. Well, thank you for this discussion and thank you for listening. That podcast will be about our next event, Experiences Sport Broadcast Without Borders. And the interdisciplinary event is organized by Robert, uh, Robert Butler from the Department of Economics and Dr. Sean O'Connell from the School of Law. Stay tuned end of August to hear more about it and check our website, EU Integration UCC Germany Center. See you next month.